Well, it's good to be together in the presence of the Lord with one another. What a great, great turnout this morning. What a beautiful day that God has given to us to um, celebrate uh, his goodness and his love and his grace with one another. Uh, what a wonderful way for us to consider together, again, as Rich pointed out, just the blessings and the freedom that we have as Americans. And we remember the, um, uh, this, the, uh, those who have paid the ultimate price so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have. Um, but today is also another very special day because it's a day that we have come to know as Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is literally the birthday of the church. And it's why we, we start, we had some balloons floating around, but they kind of, you know, didn't work. Uh, but but it's, it's the birthday of the church. And, and as, as, as uh, we were entering into the new year and I, looking at the calendar in advance, I kind of started thinking, you know, this year for Pentecost Sunday, I want to I do something a little different than we normally do. Um, and let's focus on that special moment in history known as Pentecost Sunday. I think sometimes it gets lost uh, in, in, in over the periods of time. You know, God has always had a special people that he has called his own. And it wasn't until Pentecost Sunday that the church was birthed. And it's wonderful, it's a wonderful moment of history that I want us to take a moment and, and, and reflect upon this morning because it will help us to uh, be reminded of the significance of the church of Jesus Christ. I fear that we live in a day where the church is nothing more than an organization of people that gather around some of the same beliefs. And while that may be true in the sense that there is organization that is there and there is some, some uh, continuity in believing um, of, of, of doctrine and, and beliefs, um, the church of Jesus Christ is, is so much more from that, of that than that. As I said before, from the, the, the beginning of time, God always had a, a people to call his own, the Israelites. And these Israelites were led by, by priests and prophets and, and judges, People of God that the Holy Spirit would, would come upon for a time and they would, they would speak for God and they would lead God's people. And, and the people of God were dependent upon their priests and their prophets and, and their judges and so they would know and learn the direction of the Lord. This is very significant for us to remember because that's the way it was before Christ came. This is how the people of God interacted with God under the, the old covenant, the old promise of ways in which man would, would interact with God. Underneath the old covenant, there were, there were systems and structures that were in place that stood as, as mediators between God and man. You didn't just go into the presence of God. You had to go through blood. You had to go through sacrifice. You had to go through systems. You had to go through priests. You didn't just enter into the presence of the Lord. That was the old covenant. But this morning, as we come now and we, we celebrate this new covenant that we're in, as we consider the, the passage of Scripture that, 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 that Rich had just, has, had just shared for us, this, this idea that God has given us a, a new covenant that, that we operate in, this idea that my iPad just died on me. <laughs> I don't know if she overheated on me again. It does that, right? It's all good. But we consider that I was ready for it this time. See, I just, 
we usually throw that thing right in the freezer and we're good to go. But, but as Rich shared this morning, that, that new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about, right? He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall man teach his neighbor. For all will know me, God says. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and I, I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah is prophesying about a new covenant that is coming, a, a new promise of how the people of God would now relate with God. And see, here's the thing. We're in the midst of that. That's what we live in. That's what we're, we're under. And sometimes when you're removed from where, what was, we, fit, we tend to not appreciate what we're currently in. But the, prophet, the prophets would, would let us know that this new covenant was coming. That God's word would, would be within them. He says it would be written on the tablets of their hearts. And I love this. He says, no longer would you be dependent upon anybody else to know God. He says, all will know me. That we could all come into the presence of God. And I love this. He says, and God says, and I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. No longer would we be dependent upon sacrificial systems. No longer would we need to, to go to priests, but now we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the covenant that we work in and we operate under. This new covenant would be a game changer. In the way the people of God will relate with God. How in the world would God's law, which refers to the, the means by which we please God, how would we come to have that internalized in us? How would that be written on the, the tablets of our hearts? Jesus helps us to understand how this is possible through his words to the disciples. It is, it is just prior to Jesus' departure. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. One like me. He's really what that, what that literally translates out to be. He will give you another helper and to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you, and I love this, and he will be in you. Unlike what was experienced in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon the people of God, the priests, the prophets, and so on, now it would be different. Now the Holy Spirit would not come upon, but the Holy Spirit would come within. And this is what Jesus is highlighting as, as what God was about to do, the promise of the Father. He says a little bit further on, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, look, he will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, this is the fulfillment of the new covenant. How in the world are we gonna know within our hearts the word of God? How are we gonna be able to identify truth? The spirit of God is within the church of God. Jesus is referring to the old covenant that would be ushered in and once he died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Look what he says a little bit later. He says, look, again, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he says, but now I am, I am going to him who sent me. 
And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, he says, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, he, he will come to you. Jesus is setting the stage for his departure on the earth, and he is setting the stage for the arrival of the promise, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you, you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all the Father has is mine. Therefore, as I said, he will take what is mine and will declare it to you. You see, this is all very, very significant. Jesus is talking about a, a major event that is about to take place in the lives of the disciples and all of his followers. That in the same way the scripture points to the, the arrival of Jesus, likewise the scripture points to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And one who, unlike Jesus, would walk with his people, the Holy Spirit would abide within his people. It is no wonder that Jesus said that it is to your advantage that I go away. Otherwise, the helper would not come. These were Jesus' words while he was with them. He was, he was preparing them for his departure was very soon. And that's exactly what happened. As we read the, the gospel account and, and what happens, Jesus is, is betrayed, he is arrested, he is crucified. He is placed in a tomb, and three days later, we know that Jesus rises from the dead. Luke records the words of Jesus to his disciples. Now Jesus has, has risen from the dead, and now Jesus has come back, and he is walking with his disciples for 40 days. Imagine what that must have been like, by the way. For 40 days prior, 40 days prior, they saw him die on a cross, but he rose and he defeated death and hell and the grave. Now Jesus is with them for 40 days. How many would have loved to hear those sermons? Jesus said to them, now he had been there for 40 days. It was prior to his ascension. And Jesus said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day. He rise again from the dead. He's letting them know that what happened was a fulfillment of the scripture and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all the nations. And he said to them, you are witnesses of these things. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and behold, I am, I am sending you the promise of my Father. And he will come upon you. And he says to them, but stay in the city, Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is talking about an event that was about to take place. These are the words of Jesus just before his ascension. This takes place 40 days after Christ rises from the dead. And that's important for us to know because that helps us to place this event on the calendar of Jewish feasts that they were celebrating at that time. And this places it right at the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. 
the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, or the, the Feast of Weeks, was where they celebrated the wheat harvest. And more specifically, this is when they, they celebrated God's provision for his people. But even more than that, this was a time where the Jews from all around the region would come and they would recommit themselves to the Old Covenant. It was kind of like a, a renewal of vows from the Jews to God. They would all gather during the time of Pentecost and they would recommit themselves to this Old Covenant. Jews from all over the world would take place in this. But unbeknownst to them, that this Pentecost Sunday, this covenant, as prophesied by Jeremiah, was about to change. That's why Jesus told his disciples before he left to, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father was about to come. He says, wait, I love this, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Now we pick up this same narrative, the same story on the timeline. Luke is the one who wrote, obviously, the gospel that bears his name, but he also writes the book of Acts. And, we, and it's really almost like Luke part two. There's a, there's a steady flow of thought in the writer's intent. And so Luke picks up right from that moment in Acts chapter one in verse four. Is it okay we look at some scripture this morning? Right? I, th I think we need to really celebrate the power of what God has done and the significance of the church. Look what he says here in Acts chapter, four, uh, chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, Jesus speaking to his disciples, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with, you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember, this was very high on their list of, of, of conversation. They wanted to see, when are we going to rule and reign with you on the earth? He said, they're highlighting the end times. When are they going to finally have their guy leading the world? And is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that are fixed by his own, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He says this, but, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the earth. And just as when Jesus had said these things, they were looking on, and as they're looking at Jesus, it says, and he was lifted up, up in a cloud, and took Jesus out of their sight. Could you imagine what that must have been like, that moment? The instruct from Jesus was, wait in Jerusalem. In other words, listen, it's about to happen. You wait for it. You know, an interesting fact, if you read in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, Luke points out that there were 100 120 people that waited at that moment. It wasn't just these disciples, but it was, a, it was men and women, and it was a crowd of, of 120 people. And, and that was just not an arbitrary number that was put out there. In fact, it was a very significant number. Because in Jewish tradition, 120 is the smallest number for a population to have its own governing authority or its own governing council. 
And it was understood that each judge within the council would represent 10 other members. And so 120 people, let's do the math, would require how many leaders? 12 leaders. Well, they had 12, they lost one. So they needed to choose another. And that's exactly what they did. They, they grabbed Matthias and they installed him. But what we see happening here is, is, is we see the structure of the first local church. That 120 people represented the first local church in history. The organization of the church is beginning. But the organization needs the life of God. The organization needs the breath of God to breathe upon it, changing it from an organization to an organism. And that's the miraculous moment that's about to take place because that's just what happens. We see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, just as Jesus told them to do. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What a powerful moment this was in the church. It's the birth of the church. It's the birthday of the church. The significance of this event, sometimes it gets lost in the, in the description of that moment, in the outcome of that moment as we see as the Holy Spirit enters in to the upper room. I mean, when you look at the description, it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind. A mighty, I don't know, if, has anybody ever been so close to a tornado? Just curious. Anybody, I looked, I mean, I'm at, I've been outside during hurricanes when I wasn't supposed to be. And just the, the sound, the power of the wind sometimes. And it says, and he says here, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. You know, a mighty rushing wind is oftentimes used to describe the entrance of God in the scriptures. God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. It was a mighty wind from the east that, that blew the path dry in the midst of the Red Sea so the Israelites can pass through. Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones, and the wind blew them back to life. Numbers chapter 11 speaks of, of the wind from the Lord that brought forth quail to, to feed the people. Jesus uses wind to describe the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3 and verse 8. And so we see that Luke records this event in the upper room. It was like a mighty rushing wind. He says, divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each of them. Now there's a lot of speculation as to what exactly that was. What's interesting is these tongues of fire rested on them, not within them. And notice they are, they are tongues as of fire. It's a description, as like the mighty rushing wind was a description. You see, this is not about the wind that they felt around them or the tongues of fire that appeared and rested upon them. The significance of this moment is what takes place in verse 4. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I love to talk about the wind. I love to look at the fire. I love to, exa- I love to uh, examine what the scripture means about the tongues and the utterance. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this is all the packaging around the main event. And the main event is this, that God the Holy Spirit has come upon and within his people in a way unlike has ever happened before. The birth of the church took place in Jerusalem that day. And it moved from an organization of 120 people to an organism of 120 living, breathing people that represent the body of Christ in the world today. It was not just a bunch of people who gathered around a belief system, but God the Holy Spirit was within his people. Pentecost Sunday, a day that the Jews came to renew their commitment to the old covenant, stepped into the fulfillment of the promise of God that day, and they embraced this new covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is no longer merely an organization. It is the body of Christ. The wind of God has blown upon the body and brought life to her like he did at the creation of man when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam and life began. The church of 120 birthed on Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues on the streets of Jerusalem that day, it created quite a stir in the community. What started in the upper room moved out into the streets, which is exactly what the church is intended to do, right? We come together and gather as the people of God, and then God moves us out into the streets to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And so now they move out into the streets and we pick up in in verse five of chapter two. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language, right? As the Holy Spirit came within the church, they began to speak in in, uh, in various tongues. And now they, they filter in to the streets of Jerusalem and the people are hearing them from all different languages, all different regions, and they're hearing them speak in their own dialect, in their own language. And they began to mock this group of people and saying, what does this mean? They, they must be drunk. But Peter, standing with the 11, I love it, the fact that it's Peter. Because it's the same Peter that denied Christ in front of a little girl at the crucifixion of Jesus. But now this is a new Peter. This is a refreshed Peter. This is an empowered Peter with the Holy Spirit. And the first one to stand up for his Lord is Peter. And Peter looks at this crowd who is mocking them, saying they're drunk with wine. Peter stands up with them and says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that what is spoken through the prophet Joel. And it begins to recall the prophecy of Joel in Joel chapter 2. It says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see, shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Joel is prophesying not just about that event, but he's talking about the whole end time of, of, of the, of, of, uh, that, that exists that the scripture talks about. Beginning at that moment, the, the end times began at Pentecost, but he begins, begins to talk about the end times. We've been talking a lot about the end times these last number of weeks, but Joel prophesies about something that began in Pentecost, but look what he says here. Verse 19, he says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel is looking prophetically over the annals of time and he's seeing the Holy Spirit of God coming upon the church in Acts chapter two, and then he's seeing like mountain peaks, right? And each top of the mountain, there are time periods. They're seeing this moment of when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts chapter two, and then they're seeing the, the, the church age, and they're seeing the tribulation period, and they're seeing that point where everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter proceeds to preach the gospel to them by pointing out that God sent his provision this Pentecost Sunday, by the way, as they were celebrating the provision of God. That's what they were doing. He reminds them that God was sent his provision in the person of Jesus Christ. But they rejected him, and they crucified him. And he calls them to repent and turn to God. And they turned to God that day in repentance and, and they baptized 3,000 people on the streets of Jerusalem that day. Amazing. Talk about revival. That group of 12 turned into 120. That 120, by the power of the Holy Spirit, turns into a church of 3,000 people. They are forever changed. And this group of people, what did they do after that? Well, they went home and they turned on the football game and they went back to business as usual and they really had a barbecue and said, wow, wasn't that really exciting? Now we're a church. We're now we're an organization. What kind of a sign do we want to get? What kind of a, what kind of a style do we want to look, right? No, not the church. This breathing, living organism that is now powered by the Holy Spirit. We see in four, verse 42 of chapter 2, he says, Now what they do, did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the church. This is what we're called to do. This is the organism 
the church. While it is organized, it is not merely an organization. It is an organism, the living, breathing body of Christ. The significance of the church and the reason for which we gather is because the church is the only physical manifestation of the presence of God on the earth today. The church is the organism through which the Christ manifests his life to the world today. That's the part that we need to recognize when we talk about, hey, we're going to church. We're gathering as the church. We need to be really careful that we don't dilute the significance of what that is to just this organizational structure that takes place, that gets together, sings a couple of songs, has a word, goes to have, you know, has some fellowship, and goes home. All of those things are wonderful, but let's not fail to recognize the beauty of what the church is. It is the physical manifestation of God's presence in one another in a way that has been unlike any other time in all of history. The church of Jesus Christ. God has chosen to reside within his people. Paul tells the church at Corinth, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He says to them that, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul reminds us that we, that we have Christ in you, the, the hope of glory. Integrity Church, you are the church. The same church that began in Acts chapter 2 continued and has continued through the ages and who will be presented by Jesus on that special day to his Father. You are not common. You are not just an organizational structure. But the Spirit of God is within you. And that makes you rare air. That makes you unique. It makes you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, right? That we might proclaim the praises of his glory that called us out of darkness, but transformed us into the kingdom of lights. What happened in Acts chapter 2, in the midst of all that incredible phenomena, which is really exciting to see. But the biggest moment is that God, in the same way that God came to us in the incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ, once again, God came to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And now, instead of walking with us like Jesus did in, in his ministry here, now the Holy Spirit is within the body of Christ. And that's why it's so significant. That's why it's so important that we gather together as the people of God. It's just different, isn't it? I mean, isn't it a little, doesn't it, doesn't it just, don't you experience God's presence a little differently when we're together in the, in the presence of God as opposed to just when you're home by yourself? It's because God has designed it to be this way. And let's not neglect the gathering of one another in the house of God. Because as I said before, it is the only place in all the earth where the physical manifestation of God is present on the earth. It's the church of Jesus Christ, and there's nothing common about it. Father, we, we thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. 
We thank you that Jesus, as you came as our substitute, our second Adam, and provided yourself as a sacrifice for our sins, you came in the person of yourself. Likewise, Holy Spirit, thank you that you came in your person and you filled us with your spirit to teach us and to point us to all truth. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us that we would never fail to recognize the significance of the church, that we'd never dilute it to just an organization, but we'd realize that it is the physical manifestation of God's presence on the earth today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday, church. All right? It's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God.